Let's open with a word of prayer. Mighty God, we welcome your presence here today. Father, we thank you for your word that says, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And we know that that is true even on a day like this. Father, we thank you that we can be a people who sees things with your eyes so that we know regardless of what it feels like outside, it's awesome in here, in your presence. Be with us today. In the name of Jesus, I claim a voice that is sufficient to proclaim your word and Holy Spirit fill in the gaps. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how many days till Christmas? Yeah, <laughs> three sleeps. Who sleeps on that last day? Um, so, show of hands, who still has things to do to get ready? Who still has a bunch of things to do to get ready? A few? Why are you in here? <laughs> um, let me ask this all, and I didn't ask who's prepared for Christmas, because that's just annoying for those of us who aren't, but um, let me ask this, who has little kids in the mix in your home this time of year? Kids, grandkids, yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? Adds a whole new dynamic to the process, level of excitement. Are uh, they a little amped up right now? <laughs> Probably so. Um, most of you know I'm a pediatrician, and uh, not surprisingly, when kids come into the office, some of them are a little skittish and quiet and don't want to look at me and uh, go silent when I walk in the door. Um, this time of year, though, it is very easy to unlock that. All you have to do is ask about Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas? Is Santa Claus coming to your house? Are you getting presents? Do you have a tree? And all of a sudden, they open up and they're fine. So it uh, definitely makes it easier. A child's expectations of Christmas, um, it's incredible. It's awesome to watch. That's why I'm so glad our church does the uh, joy tree that we do. Um, but the expectation of Christmas transforms kids, doesn't it? Makes them behave better too sometimes, because you can use that, right? Um, the thing is, we should be similarly expectant. Not just at Christmas, but any time we come into the presence of God. But, uh, but right now, especially now at Advent, this is a season of what? Expectation, Right? And, uh, and we have that going. And just like kids who have these great expectations for Christmas that make them so excited, we should have that same level of excitement when we come into the presence of God. Um, our expectations of God should be about what He's going to do in our situation, what He's going to do in our church, our workplace, and in us, Right? Uh, show of hands here. Who likes Fixer Upper on HGTV? Who likes to watch that? Yeah, or uh, Extreme Makeover when it was coming on. We like the big reveal, don't we? And it builds you up to it. They're working on the house all, all along in the episode, and then uh, even if it's getting late, you really didn't want to spend that much time on the television. You've got to keep it on until you see the big reveal, right? Because it's so exciting to see how everything unfolds like that. Um, what about uh, reality TV shows, any, the competition type of shows? Who's a fan of Dancing with the Stars or American Idol? Voice? 
America's Got Talent, So You Think You Can Dance. Any fans of those out there? And it builds towards the end of the season, and then you get the big reveal of who the winner was. We love that. Anyone been to an amusement park right when it opens, right there waiting at the gate? You know, Mickey and Minnie are dancing, all of that, and then they open, and, and you know, it just builds and builds and builds, and you can't stand it anymore. Uh, what about the consignment sale? I don't get that, but I know, yeah, but, yeah, but some people do. Oh my gosh. Um, I've been here, the group of guys on Thursday evening where there was a line way down almost to the courthouse, and we're just shaking our heads. But that's a big, exciting thing for some people. I know, I remember hearing a comment made, it's like a new roller coaster opened at Six Flags or something like that, looking at the line. We like the big reveal. We love that. A while ago, I asked, why are you here? And I was joking, but really, why are you here? Why are you here today? Did you show up with an expectation that God is going to do something big and exciting today? We should be showing up every, every Sunday like that and every time we enter into the presence of God wherever it is. Um, give you a visual in a moment of what um, excitement can look like. We talked about kids at Christmas. Some of you have met our dog, Ginger, and I think we may have a picture of her. Um, There she is, yellow lab mix. Uh, Ginger likes a lot of things. She likes likes her food. She likes when she's fed. She likes playing tug-of-war with a rope toy. She loves when people come to the house for a visit. Um... Most everybody, not so much Warren Bud. Um, she kind of sits there and growls all the time. He's there, but uh, so does he. Um, but she loved, of all the things she loves, the thing she loves the most is when she gets to go outside. So about twice a day, she go, well, she goes outside more than that, but on a walk a couple of times a day. So we're going to show you a video, we hope, of what it looks like when Ginger gets to go for a walk. <laughs> That's Megan asking her if she wants to go. And tail going, jumping up in the air, going airborne. And that was subdued. Most of the time when, when she's asked if she wants to go outside, it's over and over and over again, two-foot vertical, uh, very commonly. You know, that kind of excitement is what we should have for God, our expectations of what God's going to do ought to lead us to tremendous excitement. Why? Why should we have those expectations? Because God, God doesn't just like to meet our expectation. He delights in exceeding them. That's what he does. Let's look at some examples from Scripture. When Israel was ex- escaping from captivity in Egypt, God didn't just create a path for them. He parted a sea. In the book of Judges, when Gideon's army was getting ready to take on the Midianites, thousands and thousands of Midianites, God trimmed down the army. He, he trimmed it down to there were only 300 soldiers going up against thousands of Midianites, and they won. God wanted to come through in a big way. And when Jesus fed the multitude, he used what? Five loaves 
and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children who were there too. It wasn't just 5,000. It was a whole lot more than that. Five loaves, two fish. And what was left over? Twelve baskets. God doesn't just want to meet our expectations. He wants to exceed them. Twelve baskets left over. And if you study numbers in the Bible, number 12 is an indication of God's power and God's authority. That was the extra that was left over after everyone had eaten until they were stuffed. God answers big. And he exceeds expectations. He answers in abundance. And the problem is, too often, we compromise our expectations of God. We settle. And we say things to ourselves like, it is what it is. This is as good as it gets. But I tell you, the people of God are not supposed to say those things about our circumstances and about our situation. We just sang a song a little bit before called God of Miracles. And usually when I'm here to speak, um, I, give lists, I give Nick a list of songs, requests. I didn't do that this time, just one song. be our ending song. But... God of Miracles, it doesn't fit in with the whole Christmas theme. It's not a Christmas carol, but it is perfect for today. What did we sing a few moments ago? Let faith arise in spite of what I see. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I choose to trust you no matter what I feel. Let faith arise and see the kingdom come. I lift my eyes, for the battle has been won. And then we sing to the God of miracles. But do we always believe that those things still happen? Um, And they do. There's a young man on our campus this morning. I don't think he's in here, but he's a cancer survivor been through multiple recurrences and surgeries. He's had a really rough time, but his family has seen the power of God unleashed in his situation. And, and they see the battles already won, like that song says. Um, Melinda's dad, he had a stroke about four and a half years ago, and he lost moved on the right side of his body. Generally, if, um, if recovery happens all of that, it's going to happen in a year or so. And if you don't have anything in a year, you don't get a whole lot after that. It's extremely unlikely. But two weeks ago, for the first time in four and a half years, he moved his right hand. And it wasn't huge, but it was enough. And it gave hope. Well, what happened? Melinda had prayed for that that week. And so it Ryan Brooks, Randy DeGroote, and I think one or two other people. And movement came where there had been four and a half years of paralysis. God still does these things. Why don't we pray boldly more often? We need to, but we hesitate and we tell ourselves things like, well, what if God doesn't answer? What if I get someone's hopes up and, and God just doesn't do what I pray? Well, what if he does? Isn't that what we should be thinking? Aren't we supposed to be people of faith 
who pray those things with faith? There's another pattern we need to pay attention to in the way God works. And the Brightmans read some of this passage earlier. I'm going to read from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Ephrathah is the district that Bethlehem was in. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, and what that means is Bethlehem is a very small city among all the cities of Judah. So it wouldn't normally be thought of as a place of leadership or significance or importance. But Micah says, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor, and he's talking about Israel, gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. And then he says this about the ruler, and we know he's talking about Jesus. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be their peace. And Jesus authenticates this, right? He says, I am the good shepherd. He identified himself as this shepherd. And he also said, I give you peace. Not as the world gives, but the way that God gives. But it was Bethlehem that the ruler, the shepherd, the savior came from. Not Jerusalem, not the other big cities that you would have expected. And all of the things Micah prophesies, Jesus is ruler, shepherd, our peace, God did those things, but he brought in Bethlehem to be the source of that. What is the message in that for us? What do you hear in that? It's because God loves to exalt the lowly, the humble, the meek, to build them up. Um, God could have done these things alone. I'm about to mention to you, but he chose others. God used Noah to build the ark and to save the race and the animals. Noah was godly. He did what God commanded him, but he wasn't anyone special before this. And God used him. God used David, the youngest and smallest of the sons of Jesse, to kill the giant, to kill Goliath, to be the greatest king Israel had known. He used Mary, not the wife of the chief rabbi or, or someone of significance like that. He used a peasant girl, a peasant Jewish girl, probably 13 or 14 years old at the time, to be the one to carry Jesus. He didn't appear to kings, or he didn't send angels to announce Jesus' birth to kings and rabbis. He sent angels to shepherds. And pretty much any time in the Bible there was a time of need, God sent a baby. He sent Moses as a baby, Samuel as a baby, John the Baptist, and then Jesus. Do you see the pattern in that? Many of us sell ourselves short. 
We don't think of ourselves as being significant in the kingdom of God. The thing about it is, if that is how you see yourself, that means you are perfect to be used in the kingdom of God because God delights in that. He loves to do that. He loves to take the lowly and use them because it demonstrates His power even more. When we broaden our expectations... And when we submit to the plan of God in our life, then we become transformed. Bethlehem is like a nothing town. And how do we regard Bethlehem now? God transformed it. How do we regard Noah, David, Mary, the shepherds, all of those others? God transforms it, transforms us are obedient to him as well. I want to read another passage, this time from Luke. And this is uh, after Mary has received her visit from Gabriel, who announced to her that she is uh, carrying the Son of God, and that the Holy Spirit was, come on, was going to come on her. Also told Elizabeth, her cousin, which was interesting, because Mary was at the very youngest age of child bearing. Elizabeth was way past typical age of childbearing, but they were cousins. And the angel told her Elizabeth's not just pregnant, but she's six months along. So after that, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And, uh, and it's an incredible encounter. Elizabeth, her baby is John the Baptist. And scripture says that the Holy Spirit was with him from the time he was in his mother's womb. And so when Mary walks into the room where Elizabeth was, just the very proximity of Jesus to this baby who hasn't been born yet, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the proximity of Jesus provokes a response. And it wasn't just a little sweet kick. Scripture says the baby leaped in her womb. What does that feel like? But it was the move of the Holy Spirit in him, and he couldn't, John, even as an infant, he couldn't uh, ignore it. And Elizabeth acknowledges that, what the baby just did, and acknowledges why, and tells Mary that she's going to be blessed. Elizabeth starts prophesying, and then Mary says this, Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. She's praising, but at this point, she's just talking about her situation and herself. She's praising God for what He's done in her situation. But look what happens next. It goes from her just talking about herself to her prophesying like, an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel kind of thing. And she starts speaking. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. Generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. 
an unschooled, uneducated, peasant, 13-year-old Jewish girl is speaking like a prophet. There are 150 chapters in the book of Psalms, and she quotes about six different ones in here. The power of God came on her, and she was transformed. Do you believe in the power of God to transform your circumstances, or you? I want to tell you a few stories. Um, a couple of years ago in my office, there was a young man, 18 years old at the time. I'd seen him from when he was first born, been his pediatrician all his life. And in his adolescent years, he got into some bad stuff, which to look at him, you'd never guess. He looks like this angelic choir boy, but he'd done some really bad stuff. He was at the alternative high school, no chance of getting back into regular school before his graduation. And he was there because he'd been suicidal, um, drugs were involved, not good stuff. And his mom brought him there, um, honestly, so we could talk about medication to try and help. And uh, that's what he was wanting. And he was not wanting the right kind of medication from me either. And the first thing I said is, just so you know, this is not one thing that's on the table. This is one thing that we're not even going to discuss today. And he was just had, had this horrible scowl on his face. But as we talked, he started softening. And we talked about other things. We had talked about God before. And so I knew it was safe to talk about that with him. And we ended up praying. And when we got done praying, and we opened our eyes, he was smiling, but it was more than just that. The whole countenance had changed in his face. Um, ended up sponsoring him on the chrysalis retreat uh, about a month after that. And um, God has just continued to do amazing things in his life. Uh, he's 20 now. We had lunch together a couple of weeks ago, and there have been some up and downs, but all in all, he's doing amazingly well. In that moment, in that prayer time, God, not me, God transformed him. Um, another story from the office. Um, a few months ago, I met a family new to my practice. They uh, had four kids youngest was eight years old and uh, as we were talking the mom was telling me that um, when the eight-year-old was born she had had so many complications she was told you cannot have another child if you do the baby definitely won't survive and it will probably kill you as well eight years go by and then she finds out that she is pregnant and she and her husband are confronted with what to do at that point. And it was very difficult for them. And they decided, we're not supposed to end this pregnancy. And they didn't. And the pregnancy went full term, no complications. And she was there to show me her new baby, newborn checkup. And uh, baby's name was Faith. And she told me, that that process had transformed their family and that they were closer to God than they had ever been because of that. 
God transformed them. And uh, we were talking about Mary as a 13-year-old. I want to tell you about another 13-year-old, and I can do this because she's not here today. She's at a sleepover, and this is my daughter, Abby, who a lot of you know. Um, Abby, when she was a toddler, like these here today, she was terrified of everything. We, we couldn't take the elevator over there because she was scared of the elevator, so we'd take the stairs or we'd make her get in the elevator anyway. Um, she was scared of sharks, so we had to wonder, are we really going to the beach this year or not? Um, she was scared of Santa. Um, we have one picture of her in Santa's lap with Megan as an infant, and then there's about three years where it's just Megan, and then um, Abby's in the picture again after a few years. Um, scared of any kind of character with a head on it, you know, costumed characters with a head, fake head. Um, couldn't go to Chick-fil-A. Well, if we went to Chick-fil-A on the spirit night, we always had to be on the lookout for the cow. If the cow made an appearance, we made a disappearance. So it was that kind of thing. But a few years ago, Abby opened herself up to allowing God to transform her. And she has been seeking God. And God has transformed her. And he's sort of exchanging this fear thing that she was dealing with for boldness. She did a post during Suicide Prevention Week a a few months ago. And she didn't even tell us she had done it. Someone had pointed out to us that it had been done. And it was powerful. And then um, got a picture here a couple of weeks ago. She spoke at FCA at Madras Middle School. And uh, that was her speaking in front of over 200 kids. You know, number one fear is of the population in general, right? Public speaking. God has transformed her. And it wasn't just, it was her in a, a few notes. And I'll tell you, she brought it. She preached, broke down lies of the enemy. She talked about how God had uh, transformed her fear. And she offered a salvation message. Um, yeah, a proud dad, but I'm proud more of what God does. What God does in us and what God did in her. Why did Jesus come? You know, we, uh, we sing, come, long, come that long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Last week, if you were here, the lyrics that we sang was to Jesus. You were born to conquer the grave. So uh, what does all this mean? Set free from what? Delivered from what? And this is where we have to confront that Christmas is not just about angels, shepherds, cows and sheep. There's a lot more going on this time of year than those things. Um, And John was the disciple, understood Jesus best, and he says it like this in 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We had a phrase in one of the songs earlier about the nails piercing Jesus. Talking about that doesn't fit with that. We like to think about Christmas sometimes, but we have to face it. And even after we accept Christ and are saved, the devil still tries to keep us in captivity to things that God does not intend for us. Despair, 
over a situation you think will never change. Anger, maybe even to the point of hate, stirring you up, sadness, depression, or agitation and anxiety. We're enslaved to these things. The reason Jesus came was to destroy those things. And he could simply do that himself, but the things that God does, he likes to do with us and through us. When we enter the presence of God, whether it's in church or home, or wherever God meets us in the course of our day, we are transformed into active participants in the things God is doing. Say this, the presence and power of God will transform me, will transform my circumstances, will transform my situation, my home, my environment, my relationships, the people who know me. What is it that you need God to transform in you today? If it is something like despair, God will give you hope. If it's anger or hate, maybe even to the point of bitterness or unforgiveness, God will exchange that for love. If it's sadness or depression, God will give you joy. And if it's agitation or anxiety or any of those things, God will give you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And, and God will take a life enslaved to all of these things of the world and you can trade it for freedom in Christ. But it doesn't just happen. It requires a few things. It requires availability. It often requires movement. Requires desire in, on your part to actually have that transformation take place. And it requires expectations that are set high for what God can do in your life, in your situation. I want you all to pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God of miracles. We thank you for the way that you are willing to transform what we do, who we are, the situations in our life. Lead us, God, to have high expectations of you. Lead us to an expectancy and excitement and enthusiasm that wants to see you manifest in our life and in our situation. Lord, we thank you for what you do. We thank you for the way that you came to earth and the way that you did and for the purpose that you did. Lord, we acknowledge that the cross is the reason you came to earth at this season of Christmas. Lord, we love you. We anticipate a powerful move in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand up and understand that the purpose, when, when worship services are constructed, the purpose of the final song is a song of response. And I want you to consider if there is a response in you today that is supposed to take place. 
And it may be just to sing, but not just sing the words without thinking, seeing them in a spirit of praise and worship for what God has done for you. But you may be supposed to do something else other than just sing. You may be supposed to pray and use this time to go to God, to, uh, to thank Him for a transformed life. <clears throat> or to ask God to show up in your life where transformation needs to occur in you, in a situation or a relationship. Maybe in a situation where you see paralysis and God intends new movement. Ask God to transform your expectations and raise them. And there may be some movement involved. Brent and I, the last few weeks, we've been encouraging people to come to the altar because, yes, God hears you wherever you are, but there is something powerful about the vulnerability that it takes to come up here. And the altar, it's uncomfortable, but it, it's a place of sacrifice, but it's also a place of exchange. You lay something down at the altar, you're not just letting go of that. God, you do that pour something new into you in exchange for that. You may be called to pray for someone else, where they are out here or up here at the altar. But consider, what is your response today? In Jesus' name.